So I bring greetings from our sister church up in Santa Clarita Valley. They're having a service up there as well. I'm sure it's about 10 degrees hotter over there than here. But, um, and as before we speak, uh, before I speak, uh, I wanted to kind of share with you, because you don't, you don't know me, some of you do. Uh, so I just wanted to introduce my family who are here today and, and then go into the lesson, okay? Uh, so to your left, that is my son Grant. And uh, he just graduated from Academy of the Canyons as well as College of the uh, Canyons. So it's funny how he graduated in college the day before he graduated from high school. So now he's heading out to uh, Pepperdine University majoring in uh, computer science. And uh, next to him is, of course, my wife, Sunny. And she truly is a better, a better half of me. Um, I, I must say, um, I mean, besides God, she truly is the one who really molded me who I am, molded me to who I am now. So I'm super duper grateful for that. And uh, in the middle is yours truly. And then, and then to your right, that's my daughter, Colleen. She's right there. Um, she and her very, very new husband, Davis, uh, they got married in February. So they're very new, Leeway. Uh, both of them uh, met in the Bay Area Church of Christ while she was going to Berkeley and when he was going to uh, Santa Clarita University. And so Davis actually uh, was working at Google X and then he actually gave that up to move down to LA to get married and, 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 and settle down here. So I'm really grateful for that. Uh, thank you so much for that. But um, so that's our family. And what I wanted to share with you this morning is basically three things that God taught me in my 29 years of a disciple's life. Of course, God taught me many, many things, but I want to kind of boil it down to three different things in three different stages of my life. So that's what I want to share with you. So the first one is, the first thing God taught me is that to be a Christian, you must be a disciple. So I'm a Korean, uh, so I was born in Korea, and uh, uh, I, I come from a very religious uh, family. My grandfather was a, fit, uh, not famous, he was a notorious, not famous, notorious fire and brimstone street preacher. Everybody hated him because he always told everybody they're gonna all go to hell. So that's what he said. And my grandma was, uh, was, a, was an elder, as they called her, and she started one of the oldest churches in Korea, uh, in Seoul. So I grew up pretty religious. And in middle school, uh, my father had a business, so I moved out to Malaysia, which is in Southeast Asia, near Thailand. Um, so I moved out to Malaysia, I went to British boarding school, and then I went to this missionary, American missionary school that was sponsored by this group called Christian and Missionary Alliance. There's a school called Dalat School. So 95% of the students there are dorm students, and they were all MKs, missionary kids. So their parents were all missionaries, and these missionaries are hardcore. Some of them are part of what, we, of what they called a Mission Aviation Fellowship. And these guys are pilots and missionaries, so they fly their little Cessnas with you know, taped wings and stuff like that. And they'll land in the middle of the jungle in Indonesia, and then they'll chop down trees, build churches, and they'll go further into the jungle to share their faith to the pygmies. And so some of our families, you know, kids actually have died in, in the jungle. So these people are really, really hardcore, and that's where my Christianity basically started. We started the Bible every day. We had chapel every week. I was part of the uh, uh, Christian band. We toured around a little bit. I don't as, play as well as some of these guys. So I was nothing to that. But, but so that's where my Christianity kind of formed. 
And our, our, our uh, uh, school was right next to the beach. So in, in my English class, I'll be studying and then the surf will hit the window. You know, it's like, I don't want to study anymore, kind of thing. So, 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 the, so on the, uh, the, the Easter morning in my junior year, uh, I got baptized as well. And so, and, and so leaving high school, my head was like this big because we studied the, uh, the prophecies, we studied the book of Revelations. So I could almost write a dissertation on Revelations of pre and mid and post raptures and, you know, reading all the book of Tim Lahey and all stuff. So, so I thought I knew a lot. And then I uh, came to uh, the United States to go to college. I went to University of uh, Oklahoma for two years in Norman, Oklahoma. And then, uh, there you go. All right, Sooners. Yeah. And then I, and I moved out to Southern California and ended up going to USC, majoring in aerospace engineering. Hey. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I know. I got some of the UCLA buddies over there, too. But um, so that's where I, I got to meet our campus ministry. And uh, it was interesting how I got to the uh, first, very first Bible talk was I had my best friend was an aerospace major as well. He was an atheist. And one day he came to me and said, you know what? Um, I'm going to go to this thing called Bible Talks. Okay, I mean, you don't even believe in God. Why do you want to go to Bible Talk? Hey, no, the group seems to be pretty cool. And so they're going to do a Bible study. Oh, that's great. Okay, so who's leading the Bible study? One of the guys. And I went, what? <laughs> One of the guys going to lead a Bible study? Not a minister? This sounds fishy to me. <laughs> so I told my buddy. His name was Aragon Burlingham. As English as you could get. And uh, so I told him, you know what? I know Bible. So I'm going to go with you to protect you from whoever these guys are. <laughs> so that's how I started going to this Bible talk. And it was awesome. The people were great. We had a great time studying the Bible. I felt like I, I, was going, I was going back to my high school days and stuff like that. But I was prideful. So I was sitting there. So one of the guys was you know, teaching Bible studies and stuff like that. And I went like, you know what? Yeah, how, how much do you really know the Bible? You know, I don't keep on thinking that way. So for six months, I went to, I went to this Bible talk, but I never studied the Bible. Because I felt like you could never teach me anything, right? So that's how it all began. But six months into it, something moved in my heart. I studied the Bible every day for a week, and I got baptized on June 17, 1990. Okay? So I started coming to church back in 1989. So... And there was this one scripture that really, really moved me, which was this. If you would turn with me, it's Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 25, as you can see. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know, although I thought I knew a lot about the Bible, this was actually the first time reading this, that Christian and disciple were the same thing. You know, I always thought, you know, disciples is what you find in the Bible, but I'm just a Christian, you know what I mean? That's what I kind of thought, but the Bible said otherwise. The word disciple is found in the Bible 283 times, while the word Christian is only found three times. Once here, another one in Acts chapter 26, and another one in 1 Peter 4. That was the only time. So what this scripture is saying is that in order for me to be a Christian, I need to be a disciple described in the Bible. And that really, really hit me. You know, Jesus never used the word 
Christian in the Bible. Jesus never did. But Jesus did use the word disciple. So then I realized, whoa, this disciple thing is a really important thing. And uh, so when I realized, what I realized was that disciples is, is the description that God used for us. Christian is the word that, you know, the world used for us. That's what it was. So when you go and take a look at the word disciple, I don't know whether you know this or not. In Greek, disciple is uh, it's called methodus, and it comes from a root word, math. My wife is a math teacher in high school, okay? Math, which means mental effort to think something through. So disciple, it means you're a student, you're a learner, okay? Now, think about it, mental effort. You have to think about what God wants you to do, okay? And discipleship starts from your mind. Christianity starts from between your ears. And that's what I learned. As a young Christian, that's what it was. You know, some of us feel like, hey, I've been a disciple for a long time, or I've been a disciple for some time, but I don't know. I mean, I need to do this. I need to change this, but I cannot change that. I don't know what's going on. I can't change. Maybe the reason why is that you're thinking the wrong way. You're trying to change the action, but discipleship starts from your mind. Romans talks about renewing your mind, right? So you're supposed to renew your mind first. So the question to you this morning is, are you a believer or a learner? There is a fundamental difference in that. A believer is about knowledge, but a learner is about practice. Think about this. If I go, you know what? I really believe that golf is the greatest game ever. Now that doesn't make me a great golfer. I need to go out and practice so that I can become a great golfer. In the same way, because, you know, being a Christian is the same thing. You could believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but if you don't put them into practice, you really cannot become a kind of a disciple that God wants you to be. And that's what I learned. And you know, so the question is, you know, the question over here, he says, how seriously are you learning from God's word? that is eagerly studying and obeying the Bible. How eagerly are you into it? How passionate are you about studying the Bible? Is the Bible just a good book? Or is it a standard of your life? Not an ideal, but a standard of your life. Because if you do that, you will see the power of God moving in your life. I can guarantee you that because I went through that. And that's what I learned. And I also learned that learning is continuous. You don't stop. Right. You know, you continue to learn. And uh, the thing is, our goal is Jesus Christ, and He is perfect, right? right? So we will never be perfect. So that means that we can never stop growing. We can never stop studying. We can never learning, right? Stop learning. Right. So when you look at your Christian life, whether you've been a Christian for one year or ten years or whatever, is that you, can, you look at yourself as a graph. You know, we all go through difficult times, okay? There's, there's no such thing as, you know, super Christian, as I never suffer, as I can hit me, hit me, hit me, I'm all good. It's never like that, okay? So we all suffer. And then the thing, but the thing is, if your Christian life, is graph is like this, so from start all the way to wherever you are, it's kind of the same thing, but you're kind of going up and down. That's not what God wants. What God wants is, is this. You go up and down, up and down, but you continue to grow. 
continue to grow. And that's what God taught me. And secondly, what God taught me was to lead by influence and not by position. So after I became a Christian, less than two years later, I was asked to go into full-time in the ministry. And so I started to lead this group called Korean Sector. Some of you guys might remember the old timers here. The Korean Sector, and the Korean Sector became, because I'm Korean, I speak Korean. So uh, the Korean Sector uh, became uh, the Asian Sector. We started out as about 12 people. We grew to about 130 in, in about a year. So our church was one of the, our sector was one of the fastest growing uh, sectors in the LA church, which was actually fastest growing in the world back then. And because of that, I was kind of on my way to become one of the, uh, one of the first homegrown evangelists in the church under the leadership of Bruce Williams, who was the, uh, one of the lead evangelists back then as well. And so I was preaching on Sunday, I was preaching on Wednesday, I was preaching on Friday, and all these different days I've been preaching. And people are coming to me and say, you know what, I'm, you know, I like your preaching, I like, you like the way you preach, and things like that. So I'm going like, okay, I'm 25, 26, been a Christian for less than two years, and people are telling me that I'm doing a great job. And I go, whoa, this is really cool. And one day, this lady, old Asian lady came to me and held my hand, and she goes, I really, really appreciate your message tonight. And I actually saw a halo behind your head. <laughs> and I go, whoa, okay. Now people are not just listening to my word, but seeing a halo behind my head. So now my head is as big as a halo now. I, I think I'm all that, I'm so good. And, and so I'm, I started to lead by position. I'm a sector leader. I'm a preacher. So you better listen to me. My way or highway. If you're not going to follow my way, move aside. And that was kind of my attitude. And God really, really had to humble me and very quickly. So the church that grew to 130 people, we had many fallaways, many struggles. One of them was my sister who fell away from God. And people struggled because why? Because... I was leading as a sector leader and not as a brother who cared. People were struggling because they were not listened to. They were not understood. And I just thought I was such a great, great preacher, a great leader, whatever. But I was not leading with my influence, but I was leading with my position. And so if you go to Mark chapter 10, which is the next scripture we're going to look at. In Mark chapter 10, I'll go there. Verse 42. It said, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus made it very, very clear. In the kingdom of God, the leadership looks very, very different from the leadership in the world. In order for you to be a leader in this church, you're supposed to be a more of a servant than ever before. You know, the word servant in Greek is diakonos. It has two, two root words. 
One is dia, means thoroughly. The other one is konis, which means dust. So servant literally in Greek means thoroughly raise up dust by moving in a hurry. So the picture of the word servant is that you're running around, you're doing so many things. I mean, you're moving around so much that you're raising up dust. That's what the picture of a servant is. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a leader, that's what you're supposed to do. Serve eagerly. That's what Jesus was teaching. And that's what I did not learn back then. And some of you may go, you know what? Uh, I don't want to be a leader. Or some of you might say, you know what? I'm not a leader. I don't lead anybody. But the truth is, everyone is a leader. Why? Because in any, you have multiple relationships in your life, right? Some of those relationships, it could be just one, one to one-on-one relationship, but some of those relationships, whether you like it or not, you actually lead that relationship. That means you are a leader in that relationship. That means God is expecting you to lead the way Jesus led, is serving. Because if you serve, funny thing is, if you serve someone, it creates a bond. And in turn, that bond creates influence. The greatest example that I have for this is actually my wife, Sunny. Okay. As I said, she is a high school math teacher. That's two full-time jobs. Okay. And on top of that, she has a physical challenges. She has a very severe case of anemia. So she doesn't take, you know, those calcium pills, anything like that. She actually has calcium, uh, 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 what is it called? Infusion. Calcium infusions every six months for days. So for her being tired is very normal. For her being super tired is kind of, you know, that's what it is kind of thing. But even then, she serves all the time. She serves everywhere. So what you hear around her is, you need to slow down. You should stop doing that. You shouldn't do that. Not people saying like, why, why don't you do that, bro? Why, why don't you do that one, bro? No, it's not like that. It's totally the opposite. And because of that, when she says something to the sisters, sisters want to hear what she says. Are you being listened to? If not, ask yourself, are you building that influence? Are you serving? When you serve, people will hear. And it says right there, when you lead by influence, people will follow with their hearts, not just actions. And this was the example of Jesus. People who follow Jesus, some of them want follow to their deaths. Why? Because Jesus turned around and served them with all their hearts. And that's what I did not learn. And I learned very late. And thirdly, what he taught me is this. True humility is about nothingness. Now, after, oh, so after that, you know, the ministry falling away, all the things like that. So I, I got out of the ministry. I actually, we also, I actually also experienced the uh, death of a, uh, my roommate brother in the kingdom. Uh, during the uh, LA uh, riot, he got shot and he died. And that totally broke my heart. And that really kind of rattled me and said, okay, where, where is this life all about? And so I got out of the ministry in uh, 1995. I stayed as an administrator for about two more years, but I got out of the ministry. 
And uh, after that, uh, you know, I led Bible talks. I, I led family groups and things like that. But in 2005, when I had a church that was kind of going through a turmoil, I had a big blow up. I'm being very honest. I had a big blow up with the leadership at our church. And uh, then an opportunity came up for me to move to Tucson. And uh, so we decided to go. A brother in the church uh, was uh, hire, hired me as a contractor for his company. And then one day he asked me, he's like, you know what, bro? Uh, I'm actually moving to Tucson because our headquarters is moving to Tucson. And I want you to come with me because I don't know anybody there. It would be great to be together and maybe help the church over there and things like that. And that would be really awesome. And I said, okay, that sounds great. I need some change in my life too with this whole big blow up spiritually. I need to figure out what I'm doing. And so we sold our house. We packed our bag and everything, you know, bags and, uh, you know, whatever. And we were ready to go. A week before we moved. Ooh, things are coming up, right? That brother calls me into his office. And he goes, bro, I am so sorry. But I will not be going to Tucson, but I'll be going to Florida. And I go, what? I already packed my bag. I already sold my house. I got to go. This is one week before. So we ended up going to Tucson knowing nobody. I'm like, I've never been to Arizona. Uh, so we ended up in Tucson. We stayed there until 2012. Until we came back to California, we ended up in Santa Clarita. So that seven years time, I called it my years in the desert. That's what it was. <laughs> And I'm going to drink water because I feel thirsty. <laughs> it's really toasty, hot over there and over up in Santa Clara. So I didn't really change very much, you know, from Tucson to Santa Clara. It's kind of the same thing. Except there's a magic mountain up there. But uh, so I went to Tucson. It was, it, was a, uh, it was a desert time. And then uh, when, we, when I came back, you know, while I was there, I went through a lot spiritually, thinking about, you know what, what is my life all about? What is this Christianity all about? Sometimes I'd even ask, you know, do I even believe in God? And then I came back, and through all these years, I learned something. I learned something really valuable, which was, I'm not all that. I'm really not, I'm, I'm really not all that. There will always be somebody smarter than me. There will always be somebody who's, you know, more charismatic than me. There will always be somebody who's more successful than me. There will always be somebody, always be somebody. And I realized that after all these years, since 1990, becoming Christian, all these years, you know, 2012, moving to Santa Clara, that's what I was learning. But the funny thing is, even after all those years of God teaching me about humility, I was and still am prideful. And about a year and a half ago, a scripture came to me and that totally changed my mind. And that I want to share with you. It's Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verse five. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here, Jesus 
made himself nothing. And that's what it says. Apostle Paul is talking about that. You know, our humility is relative. Have you noticed? Yeah. You go, oh, that brother is more, more humble than this brother. This brother needs to be more humble, you know. This brother, this brother is really, really humble. We kind of gauge that. We have our own expectations of what humility is. When you go, this is humble, and when you see somebody meeting that, you know, criteria, you go, yeah, that brother is humble. But somebody else might be looking at it and go, that brother is not humble at all, right? However, Jesus' humility was absolute. His humility was nothing but nothingness, right? Because he made himself nothing. So when I learned that phrase, I don't deserve anything. When I realized that, my life changed. My life really changed. When I realized that what I actually deserve is actually wrath of hell. I really do. I'm a sinner. We all are sinner. We all are supposed to be bound to hell. But by the grace of God, right? We, were, we are blessed with eternal life. We're blessed with this family of God. We're blessed with things in our lives. You've got a place to stay, cars to drive, clothes to wear, schools to go to, work to go to, all these things. It's because of the grace of God. So every little good thing is from God. And every little bad thing is what I actually deserve. That's what I started to have a conviction in. So, you know, somebody, you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you in front. I used to be really angry. Before I was a disciple, I actually basically had the road rage. I mean, I almost get, got out of my car, tried to fight the other guy off, all kinds of stuff. People know, I'm a, like, you know, I'm like all out dude, right? So this eldership, I don't even know, he's supposed to be this calm person, but it's like, I'm just so not it. So, <laughs> grace of God. Um, but, but the thing is, so, so, so when I, it's like the guy who cuts you in the front of you, that's actually what you deserve. You really do. You know what I mean? Because we don't deserve anything. So and you go to work and boss yells at you for no reason. That's actually what you deserve. Okay? You know, you go to school and all of a sudden, a pop quiz. What does that mean? Well, that's actually what you deserve, guys. Because we really don't deserve anything good. And when you finally have that kind of, you know, that you finally understand that mindset of nothingness, then it brings fullness and peace and joy. And what you become is that you actually become free from this mindset of life is unfair. Life is unfair because that's what you're supposed to get. If life were fair, that's not what you deserve. Yeah. So that's why I, try, I, I got to really understand that. And, and then, you know, the mind of nothingness bring the fullness of peace and joy. You look at that scripture that we looked at, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 5 through 8. He made himself nothing. When you look at the original text, it's close to saying he emptied himself. That's what it actually means. So when you empty yourself, God is the, God is the one who's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit when you're still in it. You have to empty yourself that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that kind of mindset, in the, in the flip side, is that that kind of mindset is only possible 
when you walk by the Holy Spirit through wrestling in prayer. I'm, I was so happy to hear that you guys are focusing on prayer. Amen. And when I heard this, I was like, that is so right. And you know what? Being, with the, being filled with the Holy Spirit is more than you just kind of praying. It is about praying in your heart and soul and wrestling in prayer. That's what it's all about. Right. I know I don't have the slide, but it says in Colossians chapter 2, right? If we go there. Colossians chapter 2, um, chapter 4, verse 12. There's a guy whose name is Epaphras, who basically planted the Colossian church. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. It's that kind of a prayer. So look at yourself and say, okay, what kind of prayer am I praying? So I can just imagine, his prayer wasn't just prayer, it was like wrestling in God, just like Jacob actually physically wrestled you know, at the well, right, in the Old Testament. Right. It is the same thing. It's a spiritual metaphor of that. So I can just see Epaphras coming out of his, his spiritual time, his uh, prayer time, all spent. And that's actually my goal every day, to pray like that, that I'll be all spent when I'm coming out of a prayer. Because that's the only way you could actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like directly proportional. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have to spend time in prayer. But the thing is, more than that, you've got to engage God. And you've got to wrestle God and say, you know what? I'm not letting you go until you bless me. That's the attitude that you've got to have when you go into the prayer time and come in out of the prayer time. Then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, then this nothingness, it'll start to come to you. And you go, what? It can really change my life. And then nothingness doesn't stay. I ask my wife. It's not like I feel that every day. But that's why we have to continue to wrestle in prayer. So that we could be empty. So. Three things God taught me. To be a Christian, you must be a disciple. So now I teach you. Learn and grow continuously. God taught me, lead by influence, not by position. So I teach you, serve eagerly. And lastly, God taught me true humility about nothingness, zero percent. He taught me, so I teach you, become nothing. Thank you. Thank you.